Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. I'm your host, Alex Spanko. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to thank our podcast sponsor, Point Click Care. They know financial health is integral to your success and want to help you reach your goals. Visit www.pointclickcare.com to learn how they can help you achieve financial success. In the senior living and care continuum, skilled nursing facilities often have the worst public reputation, with individual cases of neglected abuse making local and national news, all contributing to the overall negative connotation that many people associate with even just the phrase nursing home. As the founder and managing partner of Trifecta Public Strategies, Kelly Luneborg Stern has worked with a variety of skilled nursing facilities to help shape their interactions with the public and press during hard times. I wanted to know more about what nursing home operators can do to repair their reputations in the wake of financial and clinical difficulties, and why a professional with years of experience doing communications work for startups would find a home in the skilled nursing niche. Here's our conversation. Kelly, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Alex. Of course. And let's just jump right into our conversation, but maybe a little preamble. Why don't you give our listeners just a quick overview of your practice and your role in the industry, what kind of work you do, and then we can take the conversation from there. Sure, absolutely. So Trifecta Public Strategies is the name of our agency, and we have been practicing specifically in the skilled nursing industry since 2011, and we've seen you know a lot of change and a lot of activity in that sector. Comprehensively, we've been doing you know public relations, communications, crisis, and marketing since you know, for almost 20 years now. So initially, we started out in the security tech startup, uh, worked with a lot of some of the early startups with the internet and a lot of the infrastructure that was kind of bringing about what we know today and, you know, use today. And then um, dabbled into some of the, you know, handhelds and the smartphone. And then kind of moved, you know, right along with the industry. It was just kind of happenstance that we ended up in the skilled space. But what we realized very quickly was that there was a lot of need for strategic communications and publications in the skilled nursing sector. And so that has really been, you know, primarily our focus, you know, since 2011. Got it. Yes. As I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, there can be a need sometimes to uh, manage what's out there about a company and manage a crisis situation because, you know, more so than pretty much any other industry, you're dealing with vulnerable people, you're dealing with really difficult situations at a lot of times. So my first question really about kind of your practices, what are some of the biggest changes? You said you've been in, in the skilled space, focusing on the skilled space rather for about eight or nine years now. What are some of the biggest changes in the way that, you know, nursing homes and their operators kind of interact with uh, the general public and also how they handle stressful situations, difficult situations? Sure. Well, initially when we got into the space and coming from, you know, a very aggressive startup environment where we dealt with a lot of mergers and acquisitions, a lot of high pace, you know, news generation, generating a lot of news, launching products, and then switching over to skilled, it was an interesting it was an interesting kind of transition because there's there was this culture to have no comment. And I think that is one of the worst positions that, you know, any company can really have is no comment. So quickly we identified a need to kind of train people on what it looks like to talk to the media, be okay with telling your story and understand that 
there are difficult situations that happen in any industry. You know, you look at the cybersecurity space, which we've, we've worked in that area, and there are breaches all the time, and companies are constantly having to communicate about those situations. And there are simply just unfortunate events and difficult situations that happen when you're in a person-to-person service kind of environment. And as you said, these providers are taking care of our most vulnerable population, and there are a lot of situations and circumstances that happen there, and they're not all bad. And I found that over the years that there was this cloud that hovered over the skilled nursing industry for negativity and negative press. But when I was in the buildings, when I'm meeting with the administrators, when I'm talking to CEOs, when I'm interacting with the people and the clinicians, all the way from, you know, the committed maintenance directors to the CNAs and everyone in between that cycle of care, I just thought, you know, there's a lot of really good stories to tell here. And we really, as an industry, need to do a much better job of telling those stories. So I always tell people, we're not going to change the bad. We're just not in any industry. But what we can control is our ability to talk about what we are doing well, what is working well, and some of the wins and the positive things that happen. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, it's interesting to hear you say that from the provider perspective, because obviously, as a reporter and an editor covering this space for the trade publication audience, I have very similar conversations where a lot of people who I've approached to maybe interview or maybe profile what they're doing, they're very concerned about speaking to the media. Even someone like me who's covering the trade press, obviously from a different angle, you know, we're not necessarily sure. out to uh, get every company that we talk to. We do want to highlight stuff. We do want to highlight strategies because we know that our audience is not the general public. It's other professionals within. It's funny to hear it from that perspective too, because I, I also, I, and one of the ways that I try to get people to open up a little bit is by just openly saying like, look, if I were you, I would be skeptical too. You know, I understand right. you may have gotten burned in the past, but you know, what are some ways that you, that you really do, you know, what are some strategies you use to really convince operators, you know, who you're working with to maybe be a little more open, to maybe be a little bit more willing to highlight the good and, you know, what's kind of that inflection point where people get it? Sure. Well, one of the things that I found in the media in general is the biggest thing that we can do to improve our relationship with the media and anyone for that matter, because we talk a lot at Trifecta about kind of the whole ecosystem in terms of who we're communicating with. And on any given day, these administrators, clinicians, they're interfacing with, a, you know, 15 to 20 different audiences to do their job on a day in and day out. So I tell people everything that I'm going to teach you, you actually already do. When you're talking to your referral sources, when you're talking to someone at the hospital or a physician, or you're talking to a family member that might be very scared and uncomfortable. Everything that I'm going to teach you or help you message, you already do because you deal with difficult situations all day long. The media just has, you know, kind of a habit of coming at you and they go straight for the jugular sometimes. And no one blames you for being concerned or weary or scared to you know, to take an interview, but you don't have to be, you know, concerned about that. So we talk about, I ask people, walk me through your coffee, walk me through your, you know, clinical care, you know, all of your clinical care system. Talk to me about your, you know, your attrition and, you know, your employee and your culture. 
that happens in your building. Talk to me about how much training you do because regulatory guidelines dictate that you do and are required to do a lot of really good things. So let's talk about those issues. And then the other piece that I like to share with people and specifically to the media is let's spend time talking to the media and educating them on what we do. So a perfect example of that is I used to get kind of in 12 and 2012 and 13 and even 14, I get a lot of reporters from some smaller communities and they would be on, you know, a bender about why do you have all these one star buildings? And I would say the first question I would ask or two stars or three stars or why is this a five star and right next door across the street, you know, there's a three star or one star. And so I would say, well, let's just take a step back. And how much time have you spent on nursing home compare? What do you understand about CMS and the, you know, the five-star rating system? Are you aware of all of the metrics that go into those calculations? And a lot of times they would say, well, no, I just went on nursing home compare and saw these one-star buildings, stumbled upon this, and they just took at the surface. So what I encourage people to do is educate the media. Stop and take a minute to explain to them your business, walk them through some of the technicalities of what we do day in and day out, and then have the conversation from there. And a lot of times what we've been able to do is to turn those conversations around into something positive so that they say, oh, I didn't realize ABC or XYZ. Thank you for taking the time to explain that to me. So, There's a lot of different nuances because it is such a complex and highly regulated environment. I think sometimes providers, they're very busy people, right? Extraordinarily busy. But I just think that we would do all of our, everyone would do ourselves a favor. We would do ourselves a favor if we would just take the time to educate the reporters. And if the reporters would reciprocate and take the time to invest in us, and to ask questions and learn more about the industry. Now, we don't have that situation with folks like yourselves and some of the other publications of reporters, so we can have a little bit higher elevated technical conversation. But especially in these grassroots, you know, communities or even, you know, you take a, you know, a Dallas Morning News or a Wall Street Journal or a Sacramento Bee, you know, any of these papers. And they don't have, as you well know, Alex, they don't have the resources to have have someone, a reporter, exclusively dedicated to healthcare and understanding all the nuances within healthcare, which is skilled nursing. So I think there's a lot of, you know, investment on both parts. I hope I answered your question. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I was just about to say, I totally, I, I have seen it from both sides now because I started my degrees in journalism, and I worked for those local papers. I spent a year at a mid-sized paper on the South Shore of Massachusetts called the Patriot Ledger, out of Quincy, okay. Mass. And okay. I told me, and this was okay. So this was getting on like ten years ago now, mm-hmm. but the situation was the same. The staff was very small. I was basically a full-time intern, really not making a ton of money, right? And I didn't have the time. You know, I. I had so many responsibilities that I had to pull off that I really didn't have the time to dig in. And so a lot of times when I read these local stories, especially ones that I know don't really get a lot of the nuances of the way the program works, because let's face it, the skilled nursing model and all the different factors that go into it are extremely complicated. You've got government payers, you've got regulations, state, federal rules, the business side, the finance, Mm -hmm. OPCO, PROPCO, there's tons of different moving parts. And so 
I tend to come from it, you know, when I read these local news stories and I see stuff that, you know, that I look at, I'm like, ooh, that's not quite right. I do try to have that sympathy, you know. These, the person writing it is probably uh, 22 years old, right out of college, has eight other exactly. stories to work on. And, you know, the instinct, one of the things that you learn when you train to be a journalist is find, you know, man bites dog, right? The, the, the unexpected. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. obviously, right. uh, I understand the impulse and I understand why these things come out. But again, you know, my full-time job is this. This is all I write about. This is all I know. So there is just such a different level of, of just a knowledge base. And it is interesting to see the way that, it, that the nursing home industry is portrayed in the media now that I've spent three years covering it from sort of, we're still independent. We're, you know, we're not funded by any nursing home companies or trade groups, but, you know, I'm closer to the industry than your average local journalist is. Well, and we've always, in working with you and Maggie, we've always, I've always felt like that we've always gotten a fair shake with you folks. And you're always willing to let us come back with additional information. And so I feel like, you know, Trifecta has had a really good relationship with skilled nursing news. So it is one, of, I mean, well, I, I do think that. you guys do a good job. Yeah. It's a hard industry to cover. And as you just said, listing off all those areas, you know, I was reading, you know, the provider magazine earlier today, which is produced, you know, put out by ACA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just, it's just, there's just a lot going on. I, I read probably two hours a day. And I will tell you, I feel I'm constantly, you know, feeling like I'm behind. So because there is just so much to keep up with in the yeah. industry in general. And as a PR person, I try to deliver the best value and the best strategy for my clients. And so I really feel like it's important that I stay on top of certain trends and plugged in with key media and, you know, maintain those relationships so that if I've got something, I will flat out tell a reporter, you know, I would love to have this conversation with you, but we're in the middle of an investigation you know, we have to partner and we will continue to partner with the local police department. We're also juggling HIPAA as well as this. And we don't want to set alarm bells off for other patients and residents or the industry at large because we just simply don't have all the facts yet. It's not that we don't want to say something. It's that we're not able to right now. If you're interested in following up later, we would be happy to have a conversation, explain to you what went wrong. Um, let you know what we're doing for the correction, tell you how we're working with the state, et cetera. And, you know, sadly, you know, sometimes reporters are just interested in what happened today, right now, this instant. And it just doesn't work that way in our environment. And I think that's a really big thing that, you know, practice PR practitioners, communicators, and even providers really need to, when they're looking for someone to kind of tell their story and advocate is to find someone that's willing to have those conversations with reporters. And I think for us, I don't apologize at all for what I can and can't say or when I can say it. Because in my, at the end of the day, I sleep very well knowing that I have tried to do the best for the provider and, and also make sure that the truth is presented and the information is out there to the best of my ability and to the best of my provider. And I think a lot of the providers in general, they really do want to tell their story. They're just scared because they've gotten a bad shake or they've gotten a couple of bad, you know, bad press. I mean, this morning, one of the things that they were talking about in, you know, an investment publication I read is all the negative press for several 
you know, for several years now. I mean, that's in the opening line that, you know, on the skilled nursing side. And it's just, there has been a lot of negative press. There have been a lot of, you know, stories, you know, that haven't been reported accurately or entirely. And then you've also, as providers, they have to always balance, well, what do we say that's not going to ignite, you know, fear, uncertainty, doubt, and have a deluge of, you know, families calling and other residents concerned, you know, and we've got to communicate to the ombudsman and we've got to communicate to the same. There's just a lot of people that have to be communicated to when you have any kind of critical event. I just think it's important to be cognizant of all those audiences, try to communicate fairly, accurately, consistently, and also never, ever, ever underestimate the importance of communicating to your employees and your staff because they deserve to know what's going on and they're probably proud of where they work. If you, you know, I used to say when I worked at a large, you know, national provider, uh, you know, if you don't believe that pigs fly, you just need to sit in my office for a day and I'll show you what crazy stuff, you know, happens, you know, in these, in these skilled nursing environments. And again, not all bad, but just, Stuff you wouldn't believe that can kind of happen when you're taking care of a vulnerable, you know, critically ill, you know, person. Yeah. And what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions, you know, that, that you encounter when you when you talk to media people or even just people outside of the skilled nursing industry? You know, I, I know one of the things that, that I find is still kind of interesting is you don't see it as, as much as I would think, but every once in a while, you know, I'll see local newspapers refer to assisted living facilities as nursing homes or a memory care facility as a nursing home. So that's that's obviously mm, a common misconception. Right. It's a nomenclature thing. I know a lot of, you know, investors who are curious about the space might not know the difference. But what are some other common misconceptions that you run into in your practice? Well, that's a big one because skilled is also, you know, enormously regulated and not so much with assisted, although I do think we're going to see more regulations on the assisted side of the house, you know, coming through. But um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is they people don't understand the day in the life of an executive director, an administrator, an operator, you know, the ones in the building. So your ED and your director of nursing services, your DNS, and then also the the CNA population. And I just, it to take care of this critical population takes a really extraordinarily, extraordinary human being. You know, we always say, and I had someone early on say, Kelly, if you make it two years in this industry, then you will make it a lifetime. Because if you can really support the operators and the administrators. And that's really kind of what I think is my role is to support them and help them do their job and take this one thing off their plate so that they can get back to doing the hard work that they do. These are some of the hardest working people I have ever met. And I've worked with startups going through mergers and acquisitions and people, you know, trying to build their dreams and, you know, create their rocket ship. And, you know, all over the place from, you know, pharmaceutical, you know, giants, just people that are hardworking. But this particular industry, you know, nobody, you've heard this, nobody does this for the money. They do it because they genuinely care and there is a compassion there. And also we have to remember that these people are human beings 
and they get fatigued and they get tired. And so we have to really make sure that we look after them in that way too and equip them, you know, with training and, you know, physical equipment that they need to really do their job. That by and large, I think above everything else stands out is that these workers, these clinicians, these, you know, administrators, they simply do not get the credit that they deserve for what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. I would take an operator of a skilled facility with me in a dark alley, a war-ridden zone. I mean, these people act on the fly. They make critical decisions. They're responsible for keeping people healthy and well and alive and rehabbing them and getting them back home, you know, and it's just a lot of moving parts. You know, and then, oh, by the way, in the middle of that, you're in a blizzard and your sprinkling system, you know, explodes in the middle of the night. So you've got to relocate patients and residents or you've got, I mean, it's just, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and a lot of issues, you know, that never really, thank God, they never make it to the press because I don't think the general public would necessarily, you know, be able to comprehend everything that these people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But I have an enormous amount of respect, obviously, for these people. And I'm just thankful that they're not, you know, that more of them aren't running from the industry because, you know, labor, that's a big issue. We're having a really hard time finding people that want to be in this side of the business because Mm -hmm. of the bad reputation that the industry has had for so long. Yeah, that's definitely a big issue in that uh, wraps nicely into what I wanted to be sort of my final question as we look out onto, I think we're still early enough in the year where we can make predictions about 2020. Yeah, maybe we're getting, getting a little bit late toward, uh, <laughs> to making the predictions for the year, but there's obviously <laughs> a lot of stuff coming down the pike. Everyone's still adapting to PDPM. There's a right. lot of concerns over MFAR, the proposed Medicaid rule that would really, a lot of industry advocates say would kind of gut these Medicaid supplemental programs that a lot of states and providers have worked together to develop. What would you say as you look out into the next, you know, nine, 10 months, maybe to a year? What are some of the biggest challenges that you expect to see uh, with the providers that you work with and the industry at large? So for me, I'm still, you know, with PDPM and what CMS is doing with the reimbursement side of things, you know, we've always had fluctuations. Now, granted, PDPM is a huge shift, right? I mean, that that was just, you know, phenomenal. And I do think from the people that I work with, and I work with folks in Florida and Georgia and Nevada and Indiana, you know, and Arkansas and, and other places, I just think that by and large, the attitude, the internal attitude towards PDPM is positive. So I don't see a lot of, you know, from where I sit, I don't see a lot of, you know, concern around PDPM. Yes, there's noise and people are watching very, very closely. And there's a lot of, you know, discussions that I hear around, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, specifically some of the new, you know, Medicaid stuff that you were mentioning. But I am still very much watching some of the closures and the labor. Like I'm really I'm really curious to see how that is going to kind of play out um, over the next year in light of these changes. But I think the industry is equipped to handle and respond to some of these industries. The 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 Medicaid is going to be very interesting to watch. I think it will be that's a tough one, and I hear from a lot of providers, you know, that that's that's imperative for their success. 
uh, Texas in general, you know, and there's other states. But, I mean, Massachusetts have massive closures. Other states have, too. Several have gone, you know, into receivership. And so I think just kind of finding that right balance and then still reacting and responding because, you know, the business moves on, whether, you know, regardless of the, the changes that are happening in the industry. But I would say just watching closures because either people don't want to make some of these changes. We heard about people, you know, especially a lot of the mom and pop talking about that they weren't going to be able to survive PDPM. I don't work with a lot of mom and pop, so I can't speak to how well they're, they've been doing in the last, you know, finishing up on month five with PDPM. But I think that the closures and the labor are things that are going to be interesting and they might not get as much we not we may or may not hear about them as much because of these other two factors that we're listening to so closely. Yeah. Well, it's certainly going to be a busy year. I think you and I are both going to be busy in our respective uh, practices, working with the industry and uh, reporting on all the changes and uh, trying to see how everyone comes through it. So it was great talking to you as always. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Alex. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Banco, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.